from famous historical locations to lesser-known areas found in small towns, history leaves shadows that people today can still see. Let's find out their stories together on this episode of Historically Haunted. and welcome to Historically Haunted. I am your host, Ariel, and thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to this episode. Today, I will be talking about the notoriously haunted Queen Mary. But before I get started, I wanted to thank my executive producers so much. You guys help keep the lights on here at Historically Haunted. I also wanted to welcome my new executive producers, Christina, Krista, and Stacy, Thank you all so much for your support. If anyone is interested in becoming a Patreon, I have a link to my page down below in the show notes. For as little as a dollar a month, you can listen to my bonus episodes that I make exclusively for my executive producers, and I will also send you guys a thank you card along with a sticker of the Historically Haunted logo. I also wanted to give a quick shout out to anyone who has ever been so kind enough to leave a comment, send me an email, or click a like button on any of my posts. Thank you guys so much. And I wanted to thank Headless Horse Lady for leaving me the kind iTunes review. iTunes reviews are a great and free way to help support the show, and leaving a review will help others discover it so they can learn some cool history and listen to some really neat paranormal tales. Just a few things before we get started. Uh, it's allergy season, so my voice is going to be fading in and out and sounding a little congested. Um, I've taken allergy medicine every day this week, but it seems to not really be helping because the pollen is so bad that every day I go out to my car, there is pollen all over it. It looks like a, a green slash yellowy color coating on my car. It's crazy. And I am using a brand new microphone. I bought this guy a couple weeks ago. I have done two uh, smaller podcasts for my executive producers on my Patreon page with it. I've had only a little time to work out the kinks with this guy. So if you think it sounds uh, weird or different, please let me know and I will try to adjust the settings. My first ever um, microphone I used when I first started was just a Snowball Ice. It had no special settings. It was, it was okay, but... I noticed after a while that um, it didn't do a really good job and I felt like the quality was fading because I'd had it for two years. So this time I got the Quadcast Hyper X and it is very cool and it's got a ton of settings on it. So please let me know how I sound and if I need to do any adjustments, I will. I posted a picture of this really cool microphone on my Instagram if you guys want to go check it out. It is awesome. It lights up. It's got a cool mute button on top that I really like that feature so I can mute it while I listen to my playback. And I really like it so far. So let me know what you guys think of the new microphone after this episode is over. Okay, so that is all the business I had to talk about today. So let's get on with this episode. Today, the Queen Mary is docked in the harbor at Long Beach, and it is a museum and a hotel. It is also said to be the most haunted ship in the world. We will soon find out why after, of course, our monstrous moment. For centuries, people have told stories of having run-ins with strange beasts in forests, monsters in the sea, and having encounters from beyond the stars. I call these Monstrous Moments, and I invite you to listen to this week's Monstrous Encounter. Today's Monstrous Moment is gnomes. There is a good chance you have seen a garden gnome at least once in your life. These little statues of a small bearded man in a gardening outfit with the red pointy hat have decorated countless lawns and gardens around the world. While it is now common to see garden gnomes for sale at your local hardware store, it might shock you to hear just how long ago this tradition actually started. The first garden gnomes were made in Germany in the early 1800s and were made out of clay. In 1847, Sir Charles Isham purchased 21 of these gnomes when he was visiting Nuremberg, Germany, and he brought them back to England so he could decorate decorate his house with them. This started a trend in England and everyone suddenly wanted to have garden gnomes in their own gardens. Eventually these gnomes found their way to the United States of America and the trend intensified to what you see today. They come in a variety of colors and poses. Some are whimsical while others are quite cheeky. While today you can go pick one up at your local Target, before you grab one off the shelf, you might be wondering why it is so many people have garden gnomes in their yards. For that answer, we have to look to German folklore. Gnomes were not always just statues to put in your garden. In German folklore, gnomes are very real.
A gnome is a mythological creature often described as a small humanoid that lives underground. The word gnome comes from the Renaissance Latin word gnomes. I guess that's how you say that. Gnomus. This word and the description was first written down in 1566 in a book on nymphs, sylphs, pygmies, and salamanders, and the other spirits, written by Paracelsus. Paracelsus was a physician and philosopher during the German Renaissance period. Many people during this time thought of gnomes as one of the earth elementals, along with trolls, goblins, tommyknockers, and leprechauns, and brownings. Earth dwellers, according to medieval mythologies, often guarded mines and precious metals under the ground. Gnomes are not just in German folklore, but they have different names in other countries. In Denmark and Norway, they are called Nissies, and today they are mostly known for being popular during the winter solstice. I'm sure someone has at least once seen a gnome in a Christmas display somewhere, because I know I have, and I didn't put that together until I started researching this. That totally makes sense why they're there now. In Spain, they are called the Dundies. And in England, they are called hobs. In some folklore, they must live underground during the day. And if they come out during the day when the sun is shining, they will be turned to stone. This might have sparked the imagination of the garden gnomes. Or if you want to stretch your imagination for a second, you could wonder if the first ever garden gnome was technically a real gnome that got caught outside when the sun came up. Sounds like a fun idea, but other stories of gnomes don't have them turn to stone during the day at all. Gnomes are usually described the same way, with a long, white, shaggy beard, with simple clothes on, and a red pointed hat. There are female gnomes in some cultures as well. They don't have a beard, but they have long hair, and they wear a hat just like the men do, but they wear a simple dress. In some stories and folklore, they are good luck to have living in your garden, and they can become little helpers to humans who are kind to them. They come out at night and they help you do your yard work, much like a browning does, only brownings do your housework. In other stories, gnomes are very shy and they steer clear of humans altogether, living in a family unit in forest caves. The legends of the gnomes did not die out and they have been used in many books and movies. Gnomes were in the Oz books written by L. Franklin Bum, J.R.R. Tolkien in his Tolkien's Legendarium, B.B.'s The Little Gray Men, and The Chronicles of Narnia that was written by C.S. Lewis. Even the Harry Potter books had gnomes in them, written by J.K. Rowling, and in those Harry Potter books, they are seen more as pests who always cause problems in the Weasley's garden, and they have a strong bite. The best way to get rid of them in the book is to de-gnome the garden, and by doing this, the boys would pick up the gnomes and swing them around and throw them over the garden wall. Gnomes have also been brought to the big screen with an animated movie that came out in 2018 called Sherlock Gnomes. While many stories will have gnomes acting mostly non-threatening, there are a few interesting stories that came out of Potterville, California. California, where a woman named Tammy reported a terrifying run-in with what she considered gnomes. In 2004, Tammy and her children moved into a secluded 100-acre farm. It had a farmhouse and a barn on the property near Tool River. It did not take long for her to realize that there was something not quite right about the property. From day one, she felt like something was watching her and her children. Out at the barn, there was a strange, heavy feeling, and something was spooking the animals often. All of her animals were afraid to go near the barn. The animals included dogs, a cat, turkeys, a duck, and chickens. The barn also had strange sounds that would come from inside. Tammy said it sounded like a mixture of growls, squeals, and grunts. Tammy also realized something was very wrong when her small animals started to slowly disappear. She tried to blame local coyotes, but something in her gut told her that something was very wrong. Her suspicions came to reality when she saw something that she will never forget. One day, Tammy had just came home from the grocery store. She went to unload her bags from the car when she saw something move out of the corner of her eye. She looked around and didn't see anything, so she reached back inside her car, and then she saw the movement again. This time, it was paired with an evil-sounding chuckle. She spun around in the direction of the sound, and she saw what she described as a gnome about 50 yards away from her. 
She described the creature at standing at about three feet tall, had a bushy beard, and had on black, baggy pants, a gold-collared shirt, and a pointy red hat. She stood there trying to make sense of what she was looking at. Her son had come around the corner of the car to see where she was and saw it too. Then Tammy said the gnome suddenly gave her a sinister ear-to-ear -ear grin, showing sharp pointed brown teeth. Then Tammy noticed that he had cold black eyes. Once it gave her this evil grin, she dropped her bags, grabbed her son, and ran inside, slamming the door behind her. She was telling her daughters who were inside the house what had happened when the whole family heard a sinister laugh coming from outside the house. They looked out the window to see the top of a red pointy hat pass by. This scared them so much that they did not last long on the property because they eventually moved away. But another family had moved into the farm in 2010 and they also had some scary experiences. The couple also noticed that something weird was going on around the barn. It didn't take them long to see the same gnome that Tammy had seen on the property. Not soon after moving in, in the early morning hours, the couple had woken up to the sound of a raspy, gurgling, singing sound. They looked out the window and saw a gnome with a red hat standing by the small koi pond they had just built. They watched as the gnome snatched a koi fish out of the pond and put it in his mouth. The husband opened the window and yelled for it to go away, and the gnome reportedly gave him a rather rude hand gesture before running away laughing maniacally. The family tried to deal with it the best they could, but the gnome began to eat all the fish out of the pond and he liked to play with the fake garden gnomes that the couple had decorated the yard with. The husband had had enough and took away the fish and the garden gnomes, and this upset the real gnome who threw a big fit stomping around the yard and yelling at them in a weird garbled language. After this, the gnome began to try to get inside the house at night. He was trying to open doors and banged on the windows and the walls. Some say the description of these gnomes are demonic in nature. This leaves some paranormal investigators to ask the question, is this really a gnome? Today, we think of mythological creatures as nothing more than fairy tales, and yet we have so many stories of people who claim to have run-ins with strange creatures even in modern times. But whether you believe in them or not, that is up to you. For the most part, gnomes are considered good luck and be quite helpful if you are kind to them. Even having a garden gnome in your yard is thought to bring you good luck. I think there is something whimsical about gnomes, especially when you know the history and folklore that surrounds the garden gnome. Is half the fun. This is a slogan from the 1950s poster advertising the ocean liner RMS Queen Mary of the Cunard White Star Line. This ship is one of the most famous ships in modern maritime history. It is famous for many reasons. The ship was an engineering marvel at the time and it symbolized many things for Great Britain in the 1930s and 1940s. Pride of country, getting men back to work, and helping out in the war effort. And she is super haunted. The Queen Mary was built with the hopes that she would be the most popular ship on the ocean. And the only way to do that was to make sure it broke a record for the biggest ship on the water and have it dripping in first class luxury.
Ocean liners are different from the cruise ships we think of today. Cruise ships generally hug the coast as much as possible and stop at several ports for sightseeing purposes. Ocean liners traveled mainly from one port through long distances of open ocean and landed in another port, and the goal was to travel as quickly as possible. Ocean liners were crossing the North Atlantic from Europe to the United States and up to Canada throughout the 18th and 19th centuries. The shipping companies competed for the Blue Ribbon, which was awarded to the ship that could cross the Atlantic the fastest. The ship that crossed the Atlantic the fastest was honored with a blue flag that was flown on their mast. The Blue Ribbon passed to different British-owned companies until 1897 when a German liner set a new speed record. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, thousands of immigrants were making their way to the United States aboard ocean liners. Also, a few wealthy travelers did enjoy crossing the Atlantic Ocean. Ocean liners were making great profits at the time, but after the immigration laws changed in 1920s, greatly reducing the number of immigrants coming to the United States, the companies were forced to change their marketing. So they began to advertise their ships as a great experience for everyone. Traveling in Europe was a status symbol for wealthy Americans. There was strong competition between Britain, France, and Germany over the years to have the most spacious, luxurious, fastest, and safest ships on the ocean. Britain had two competing companies, the Cunard Line and the White Star Line. The Cunard Line began in 1840 in Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada when Samuel Cunard contracted with the British government to carry the Royal Mail from Britain to North America. In the 1850s, Cunard began carrying passengers from Liverpool to New York. The Cunard Shipping Company continued to grow and add several new ships to their fleet in the late 1800s. The ships included the Campania, Lucania, Mortenia, and the Lusitania. And I hope I said those names correctly. I could only check with my computer reading them aloud to me. I couldn't find any videos online actually specifically saying all these names. So I hope I pronounce them as close to the correct way as possible. The Cunard Line's top competitor was the White Star Line. And if you hear the White Star Line and this pops into your head... then you are correct because the White Star Line did in fact own the Titanic. When White Star Line launched its first ocean liner, the Oceanic, in 1870, they knew that they would be in some tough competition with the Cunard Line. White Star later built three luxurious ships. These ships would continue to carry the Royal Mail and passengers across the Atlantic Ocean. The ships were named the Olympic, Titanic, and Britannic. When the Titanic hit an iceberg on April 14, 1912, the Cunard Liner, the RMS Carpathia, was the first ship to reach the site and rescue the survivors. During World War I, ocean liners were used to transport supplies and soldiers. The Cunard Line Lusitania was hit and sunk by a torpedo from a German U-boat in 1915, killing 1,197 passengers. Following the war, the two companies continued to push to have the best and fastest ships of all. They were still facing strong international competition. The French line built the Normandy, and it was the first large ship to be built following the 1929 Convention for Safety of Life at Sea guidelines. And it won the Blue Ribbon with a three-day, 22-hour, and seven-minute crossing. The ship was designed in the Art Deco style. It launched in October 1932 and it was financed with the help of the French government. Cunard made plans to build two liners that would compete with the Normandy. The first was hull number 534, which was to become the RMS Queen Mary. Cunard contracted with the John Brown Company to build the liner at Clydebank in Scotland on the Clyde River. The first keel plate was laid on December 1st, 1930, and I would like to point out that before this historic moment, there were about 8,000 hours of testing that had taken place. 22 scale models were built and tested in special tanks to test the weight and engineering of the design. 3,000 men began building the ship. In 12 months, they had used over 10 million rivets. One year later, work had stopped due to the impact of the 1929 stock market crash and the onset of the Great Depression. Cunard had run out of money. 80% of the hull plating was complete and the ship stood nine stories high. The skeleton look of the ship's hull remained at the river's edge and became a sad symbol of the depression in Great Britain. Prince Edward saw the ship as an opportunity to bring prosperity back to his country. He was committed to bringing the 3,000 men back to work. He pressured the British government to finance the construction. 
At the same time, the White Star Line had also struggled and was asking for help. The government agreed to finance the building of hull number 534 and a future ship on the condition that the two companies merge into one. The two companies began negotiations in 1933 and finally merged into the Cunard White Star Limited on May 10, 1934. The British government provided nine and a half million pounds and work began again in 1934, 27 months after the work had stopped. Putting 3,000 men back to work was a big deal and it became a symbol that Great Britain was coming out of the depression. This lifted the spirits of thousands of Britons. Since the ship's hull had been sitting out in the open for 27 months, the first task was to remove 130 tons of rust before they could even get started on rebuilding the ship. After six months of grueling work, the ship was ready to be named. The owners decided on the name Victoria because Queen Victoria was on the throne when both of the original companies began. In order to name the ship after a royal, it was required that the company get permission from King George V. When the executives met with the king, they asked, can we name the ship after the greatest queen in Britain's history? And the king replied, my wife would be delighted. So the execs acted like they were gonna name it Queen Mary the whole time and probably were like, yeah, that's what we came in here to ask you. I mean, what would you do if the king of your own country was like, yes, you're gonna name this after my wife. Are you gonna say no? Of course not, especially not directly in front of the king himself. So Queen Mary became the name of the ship. On September 26, 1934, the ship was christened by the King and Queen. This was the first time the public had ever heard Queen Mary speak. A quarter of a million people crowded onto the banks of the Clyde River. The ceremony was broadcasted live through the radio and later seen in newsreels around the world. At the time of the launch, the ship had no power. Huge long chains were attached to it to keep it from crashing into the opposite riverbank. The ship was guided down the river with tugboats to the shipyard where it would get fitted out. This took over 18 months. Glass was put into 2,000 portholes. 70,000 gallons of paint was used. 6,000 miles of carpeting was laid and 4,000 miles of wiring was used. The steam engines were the largest at the time. There were four engines in two engine rooms. Each engine provided 42,000 horsepower, which was a total of just over 160,000 horsepower. That's equal to about 200 Ferraris. The fastest locomotive at the time was called the Flying Scotsman and the Queen Mary was 50 times more powerful. The engines took up five decks. Four huge propellers moved the ship. They were 20 feet in diameter and the largest built at this time. The ship was also known as Britain's masterpiece because of the beautiful artwork of its interior. More than 30 artists contributed to its art deco design. The ship included dining rooms, a library, a children's play area, swimming pools, a shopping center, Jewish synagogue, and a kosher kitchen. The ship provided the same amenities as a luxury hotel. The Queen Mary left the Scottish shipyard on March 24, 1936 and headed down the 14 miles of twisted river to the sea. At one point, the wind wedged the ship in the canal, but thankfully there were no injuries or deaths, and the ship did not sustain any damages. After sea trials, she was ready to make her first Atlantic crossing. The Queen Mary left on May 27, 1936, heading for New York. Many hoped she would break the speed record held by the Normandy, but she ran into thick fog near the end of her voyage and needed to slow down. The ship was greeted in New York Harbor by a large spectacle, and boy was it huge. If you have time, you should definitely go look up the video of the old black and white footage because it's insane. The Queen Mary was greeted by thousands of people crowding onto the docks of New York, and then you had hundreds of boats in the harbor waiting to greet her. They had tons of the fire department boats out there with their water hoses going. There were also a bunch of private planes low buzzing the ship. And in one of the footage, I swear the tire was so close to one of the Queen Mary's smokestacks. The greeting she got in the New York Harbor was truly a sight to behold. She was after all the largest ship in the world and everyone in New York wanted to see her coming into the harbor.
The Queen Mary was able to capture the blue ribbon for her westbound crossing in August. The Normandy reclaimed it again, but then in August 1938, the Queen Mary took it back and kept the record until 1952. Many rich and famous people traveled on the Queen Mary. Some of the celebrities were Fred Astaire, Bob Hope, and Bing Crosby. Thousands of Jewish refugees also escaped to America aboard the ship. Her last voyage from Southampton was August 30th, 1939. World War II had just begun and the life everyone knew was over. The Cunard Line decided to leave the Queen Mary in the New York Harbor for the time being because they knew that if it was in New York, it would be safe from German bombers. It wasn't too long, however, until the ship was put into military service. As soon as the Queen Mary had set sail on its maiden voyage, the Cunard Company began to design the second ship the government had promised to finance. This ship became the Queen Elizabeth. The first voyage was March 3, 1940, and it was done in complete secret. The Cunard colors were painted over gray. The ship was a huge target for the German U-boats, so it was immediately sent to New York with a small crew aboard on March 3rd, 1940. The captain didn't even know his destination until he opened sealed orders once at sea. The ship zigzagged across the Atlantic to avoid German U-boats for six days until finally reaching New York Harbor. She was docked next to the Queen Mary and the Normandy. This was the only time that the three largest ships in the world were docked alongside each other. On November 13, 1940, the RMS Queen Elizabeth headed to Singapore where it was changed into a troop ship to carry Australians and New Zealand soldiers to Asia and Africa. Meanwhile, back in New York, Queen Mary was being changed into a troop ship as well. She was painted gray. All of its expensive furnishings and artwork were removed along with two 220 cases of china crystal and silverware these items were stored in warehouses the interior was painted over and the carpeting was removed rooms were turned into dorm rooms dining rooms became mess halls kitchens and bathrooms were enlarged the ship the normandy was also being turned into a troop ship in new york but sadly it caught fire and was destroyed could you imagine being the owner getting that phone call knowing that your ship is already going to be put in harm's way get everything you've done to it ripped out of it put in a warehouse things getting destroyed and then finding out while they were making its big transformation to be this troop ship that was supposed to help the war effort it caught fire and burned up in the harbor and is now destroyed since the normandy was now out the queen mary and queen elizabeth were the fastest and largest troop ships in the war once the United States entered the war, both ships were used to transport U.S. troops to Great Britain. They each carried 15,000 to 16,000 men at a time. The Queen Mary set a record at 16,683 men. This meant that entire divisions could be carried in a single crossing, which is an awesome thing, but when you think about how many people could have died in one shot, that is also terrifying to think about. The Queen Mary was nicknamed the Grey Ghost because it crossed without being detected, thank goodness. The best defense for both queens was their speed and the zigzag pattern they used as they crossed the Atlantic. These ships were helping the war effort so much that Hitler put a bounty of $250,000 on the ships for any U-boat captain that could sink her. Thankfully, no one could. However, war is not without tragedy. On October 2nd, 1942, Queen Mary collided and sliced through one of its escort ships, the HMS Curacao, off the Irish coast. Queen Mary was ordered not to stop for any reason due to dangers of U-boat attacks. Because of this, they left 239 men to die. 99 survivors were rescued by other escort ships, but by the time they got there, many men were dead. In addition to troops, Queen Mary also transported Winston Churchill across the Atlantic to meet with President Roosevelt and sometimes Joseph Stalin. Whenever he was on board the Queen Mary, it was always in secret, so he was listed as Colonel Warden on the passengers list. A lot of the planning for the D-Day invasion took place in his stateroom, including done in his bathtub. They brought in sand and soil and made a fake beach with little models to plan the attack. Between the two queens, they delivered over half of the divisions for the D-Day landing. After the war was over, Churchill claimed that the two queens helped to shorten the war by a full year.
once the war was over, the Queens also transported American troops back home to a huge welcoming ceremony. The Queen Mary was allowed to return to the Cunard Line in September 1946. After traveling 600,000 miles and carrying 800,000 troops, she was changed back into her luxurious liner that she was meant to be. She began sailing from Southampton to New York on July 31st, 1947. There were three classes for passengers, 776 first class, 774 cabin class, and 579 tourist class. The Queen Mary and Queen Elizabeth were the world's first two-ship weekly service. Business was good for the rest of the 1940s and well into the 1950s. This was considered the golden age for sailing. The rich and famous made Queen Mary their choice for transatlantic travel. Some of the passengers from Hollywood included Elizabeth Taylor, Clark Gable, Greta Garbo, Audrey Hepburn, Walt Disney, Gregory Peck, and Rosalind Russell. Dignitaries and British royal passengers were the Duke and Duchess of Windsor, General Eisenhower before becoming President of the United States, and the Queen Mother. However, air travel was increasing in popularity. The Boeing 707 jet made its first commercial flight over the Atlantic in 1958. This started the decline for the ocean liners in the 1960s. The Cunard Company began losing money. The RMS Queen Mary was retired and auctioned off to the city of Long Beach, California. On September 27, 1967, she made her 1,000th and final crossing of the Atlantic. The ship sailed around the Cape Horn and arrived in Long Beach on December 9th. The Queen Mary has been permanently docked at Long Beach ever since. It is now a tourist attraction featuring a hotel, museum, restaurants, shopping, and event venues. The city owns the ship but contracts with companies to operate the facilities. Several companies have contracted with the city over the years, including the Walt Disney Company in the 1980s and 90s. Today, Urban Commons manages the property through Eagle Hospitality Trust. The company sadly filed for bankruptcy protection in January 2021, citing difficulties due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The tourist attraction has been closed since May 2020. The future for the 85-year-old Queen Mary is uncertain. Hopefully, her rich history can be preserved. I have never been shy about talking about my struggles with dyslexia, but I also think it is really important for people to know the signs so that they can get help. Dyslexia is a learning disability that is not well known, but it is way more common than you might think. In fact, one in 10 people are diagnosed with dyslexia. Some of the common signs is late talking, learning new words slowly, writing letters backwards, and a delay in reading and spelling. There is no cure for this, and although it's challenging, it does not mean that we are stupid because dyslexia does not affect intelligence. It is better for children to get diagnosed early so that they can get accommodations they need in school. If you are an adult and think that you might have it, it is never too late to ask for help. One website I find helpful is dyslexiaaid.org, where you can find out some great information. Understanding and educating others about dyslexia is just as important as diagnosing someone with it. Now that you know the famous history of the ship, she is also famous for another reason, being insanely haunted. One thing that paranormal investigators know is that the ghosts are still roaming the halls on the Queen Mary, and they're probably wondering what happened to the living since it's been empty for a year. The ship has a long history, but that is not without tragedy. People also wonder how many ghosts were guests on the ship when they were alive, and how many ghosts might have been brought to the ship thanks to its many artifacts. Or, the most terrifying question of all, could people staying at the hotel in modern times have conjured something dark that should not have been there in the first place? Queen Mary and her hauntings have been wrapped in controversy ever since it became a hotel. 
Many paranormal researchers think that the ship is haunted, and some even think that there is a vortex of sorts aboard the ship that allows ghosts to wander freely, while others think that the whole ship is the biggest paranormal hoax on the water. I'm going to get the hoax slash controversy part out of the way first. So, the reason that some people think that the ship is not haunted at all is because of the questionable things previous co-owners have done to the ship. One of those is making up fake ghost stories about rooms to try to increase tourism. Another was when the Walt Disney Company owned the ship. In the early 1990s, Disneyland was looking to expand to create a brand new park outside of Anaheim. The plan was to create a new park near the Queen Mary along the ocean in Long Beach, California. The park would be named Port Disney, and it was going to be a $3 billion project. The park would be dedicated to ocean life around the world, and the main focal point was going to be a giant two-story aquarium and research facility that was designed to look like giant bubbles. Think the Epcot ball, only 10 times bigger with a massive aquarium inside of it. It was meant to be an educational experience, have real marine biologists work there and demonstrate to guests what life is like under the ocean while teaching people all about ocean life and the importance of it. The park was going to have two e-ticket rides, attractions, restaurants, hotels, and shopping districts. One of the attractions planned was to create a haunted attraction aboard the Queen Mary herself. Disney had known about the haunted stories of the ship for years, and the attraction was going to have a story attached to it with fake paranormal activity to try to make people think that they were witnessing real paranormal activity. Think the haunted mansion at sea, only they wanted people to think it was real, not fake. In the end, the city of Long Beach said no to the project, and people along with environmentalists fought Disney to stay away from taking up the beaches for a theme park. Citing the environmental impact the park would take on the ocean that the park was advertising itself as supposedly protecting. This would also cause many local places to go out of business to make way for new hotel development and the city would have to have built a $2 million freeway system that would have drove locals away. As much as I love the old sketches of what Port Disney would have looked like, I also agree with the locals on this one. But Disney did use the concept art to help them build Disney Sea in Tokyo Disneyland. In that park, they have a small replica of the Queen Mary, and it's a restaurant, and it's now named the SS Columbia. They did this to pay homage to the park that never was. While I have not yet been to Tokyo Disney Sea, I have seen videos and pictures of this unique Jules Verne style park. And let me tell you, it is the most beautiful Disney park in the world. And I will be going there someday. If you have time, just Google Disney Sea Tokyo and it'll blow your mind. After the Disney company had to scrap plans for Port Disney, they also lost ownership of the ship but the stories they left behind about the Queen Mary linger to this day, such as supposedly the most haunted room on the ship, B340. There are also rumors that Disney had already begun working on the haunted elements inside the ship while waiting for Long Beach's approval for Port Disney. Some believe that the new owners of the ship know all about these fake haunted elements and use them in secret to scare guests into thinking that the ship is haunted to boost tourism. Now, this has never been confirmed. But knowing that at one point this ship was planned to have a fake haunted attraction leaves skeptics to not believe anything they see or hear on the ship. Another controversy was when the TV show Ghost Hunters went to the ship to do some investigating. They were inside room B340 to investigate the claims, and I will talk a lot more about that room later. But the team caught something on a camera that they had left in the room to later find out that someone had snuck into the room and manipulated the footage to make it look like the bed covers had moved. The team ended up blaming this on a group of teenage girls who were staying at the hotel that night, and they were apparently being really loud and immature and running around the halls during the Ghost Hunters real investigation. However, I did run into something theories online that some people think that the ship's owners did this to try to increase tourism again and the ghost hunters team was just being nice by not calling them out on television for them you know actually being the ones who faked it all but no one knows for sure and what I found on the internet could also not be true because you know I found it on the internet you have to be careful with what you find on the internet so take that with a grain of salt please because I'm not trying to blame the hotel for doing that I'm just letting you know that I ran into a couple of online forums that claim that that's what that was, but regardless, this does not explain the real and terrifying paranormal events that people have claimed to have had over the years. 
Because remember, the rumors of the ship being haunted were well established before the Disney company got a hold of the ship. It was the stories of hauntings that gave them the idea for the attraction, not the other way around. Personally, I think it is important to never fake something paranormal, even if you want to boost to popularity and tourism, because, well, I just think it's not nice to lie to anyone. But then again, that might explain why I will never be a millionaire because I am too nice. Before the pandemic hit, the ship did haunted tours, and I ran into a few people claiming that even the haunted tours were completely fake. But I can't find a definitive yes or no to that, so I really don't know what is going on with this ship. I thought it would be a great idea to just get all of this controversy out in the open and out of the way so I can focus on supposed true hauntings of the ship. So now that we have got all that controversy out of the way, I still think there is something paranormal going on. I have not been there myself, but I have seen countless stories from people who normally never talk about the paranormal saying that they did see or hear something that they can't explain. Some stories are creepy and others are downright terrifying. From my research, it looks like there are just under 50 passengers that have passed away on the ship. Some due to accidents, others due to illnesses that they caught on the ship. This does not include any military records like the tragic accident during World War II that killed 434 men or any injured soldiers or POWs that might have passed away during World War II as they were being shipped to a prison camp. It seems like every main hotspot on the ship has a resident ghost. And we will be starting off with the ghost of John Petter. John was a man who worked in the engine room in the 1960s. And on July 10th, 1966, the engine room had a routine water lock drill. This drill had all of the watertight doors close as it would during a real emergency. While the doors were closing, John thought he could make it through door number 13 as it was shutting. Sadly, he mistimed the door and it crushed him to death, almost severing his body in half. Ever since then, there have been reports of a ghost wandering the engine room that the workers have called Half Hatch Harry. His ghost has been seen in different parts of the engine room. Whenever John is seen, he is wearing his old 1960s style work coveralls. In an area of the ship called Shaft Alley, people have claimed that they were followed closely by a man in 1960s coveralls only to have him disappear as he was about to pass door number 13. People have also seen his ghost in the work elevator. Guests who have been down in the engine room on tours have reported feeling like their clothing and bags have been grabbed by unseen hands. The sound of banging on pipes, moans, and a man's voice have also been heard around door number 13. One other thing that people claim happens is the sudden appearance of greasy handprints appearing on walls only to have them disappear when staff comes to clean them up. A tour guide named Nancy Ann said that one day she was walking along the walkway in the engine room when she felt someone come up behind her. She looked over her shoulder to see a man in old coveralls walking down the walkway. As she moved over to let him pass, he vanished in front of her. There's also a ghost that hangs out in the generator room. The story goes that a man named John Henry was one of the first ghosts on the ship. He sadly passed away while the ship was getting fitted out. He died by electrocution while he was building the generator for the ship. Ever since then, the generator room has been reportedly haunted. Henry has been seen as a shadowy figure. Strange sounds come out of the room, along with people who have been near the room or inside it, reporting many strange occurrences, like the feeling of being touched, cold breezes past them, and having your cheek brushed by unseen hands. People have also reported their clothing getting tugged on, along with being pushed. The sound of clanging metal and tapping on the walls from the generator room happen often. There are a few holes in the floors and walls so you can see down into the engine room. People on tours have seen an eye peeking out at them and once they notice it, it disappears. Many paranormal investigators believe that this is Henry and he's just watching over the ship. Before we move on to the upper decks, I wanted to point out that many people who have been in the lowest deck around the front of the ship have claimed to hear the sound of men screaming for help. This is believed to be the residual sounds from the tragic accident that happened during World War II when the Queen Mary hit the SS Curaçao. Up next, we will be moving to the upper decks, and they are all very haunted, but for different reasons. So we will start off at the first and second class pool areas. Now, the first class pool is said to be haunted by a woman. No one knows her name, but whenever she is seen, she is wearing a 1930s style bathing suit. 
She likes to hang out around the edge of the pool and she has been seen walking around the old pool locker room area. Some have even claimed that she leaves behind wet footprints and puddles on the floor. The pool has been empty for a long time. Some believe that she drowned in the pool during its operation and that is why her ghost is still lingering in the area. Another ghost that likes to hang out around the first and second class pool area is a young girl named Jacqueline Torn. The room that used to house the second class pool is now a theater and it is called the Royal Theater, but people have still seen Jacqueline in that area. Jacqueline has been described as a girl around five or six years old. She is in a 1940s style dress and she likes to play with investigators. She will often sing her favorite song, which is London Bridge is Falling Down. Catching an EVP of her talking, giggling, and singing have been normal for people on ghost tours. People who have walked by the first class pool area and the theater have said that they have heard sounds of a young girl <laughs> laughing and splashing as if she was inside a pool. Remember that there is no water in the pool for the first class and the second class pool doesn't even exist anymore. So it really adds to the creep factor. It's kind of creepy. Could you imagine walking past a room and hearing that and then open the door and there to be not only no pool in there, but just complete silence after you open the door? That is what usually happens to people just wandering through the hotel. One day, a ghost tour guide claimed that she and a few investigators were standing by the first class pool area when they suddenly heard a little girl laughing and splashing. They watched as wet, child-sized footprints appeared on the ground in front of them and the footprints walked right past them. Some believe that there are other child ghosts that like to hang out with Jackie because other people have seen another little girl and a little boy around the second class pool area which is now in the theater. The little boy likes to peek around corners and look down on tour groups from the staircase above the first class pool area. The first class pool area has another entity that people call Grumpy or the Growling Ghost. He likes to stay in his hiding place in a small room under the stairs. He growls at anyone who comes too close to his hideout and likes to scare away guests when they are being too disruptive. Next we will be going to what was once the first class lounge area. This would have also doubled as a ballroom during the ship's heyday in the 1930s. It is in this room that people see the lady in white. The woman's identity is unknown, but when she is seen, she is in a 1930s style white evening gown. She has been seen dancing silently in a corner of the room before she disappears. She also has been known to walk out of the room with guests when they leave, only to disappear when they get to the elevator. Many people have seen her on ghost tours. Now we will move to the rooms that are part of the hotel. Each room is said to have some form of paranormal activity. People who have stayed at the hotel have claimed to have run-ins with shadow figures, doors opening and closing on their own, phantom footsteps in the room and in hallways, disembodied voices, faucets turning on and off, toilets flushing randomly, and lights turning on and off on their own. Captain John Treasure Jones was the last active duty captain for the Queen Mary. He was the captain who guided her on her last trip around the Cape Horn Spoon and brought her to Long Beach. He passed away at the age of 87 in 1993. Many people think that he loved the ship so much that he came back in the afterlife. Numerous guests have said to have seen him in his uniform walking the halls and decks as he would have done during the ship's operation. He was also known for smoking cigars, so people often get a whiff of cigar smoke all around the ship, but this is mostly known to happen in his old captain's quarters. The decks have said to be as haunted as the inside of the ship. And before I move on to the last two final rooms of the tour, I wanted to take a moment to talk about this listener story that I got sent in from Carlos. Carlos, his wife, and a friend were taking a tour on the Queen Mary, and when he heard that I was going to do this episode, he sent me this really interesting paranormal experience his wife had on the ship. His email said, My wife and I and a friend were doing a self-guided tour of the Queen Mary about 10 years ago. We took a break for lunch and decided to go to one of the restaurants on the ship. We found a seat out on the deck for our lunch. My wife went to the restroom. A few minutes later, she came back out of the bathroom in a bit of a panic. She then asked us if we had seen anyone going into or coming out of the women's bathroom while she was in there. Then she tells us that she was in a stall and she heard the door creak open. She then heard the sound of high heels walking along the bathroom floor. Then she saw and felt the rattle of the stall door like someone was trying to open it. Usually, you can see the bottom of someone's shoes under the stall door, but she couldn't see a darn thing. The rattling suddenly stopped, and she heard the footsteps again, but didn't hear the door open. 
She said the bathroom was really small and there was no place to hide. Thank you so much, Carlos, for sending me that awesome story. Um, I hope your wife was okay after that. I would be really freaked out if that happened to me personally. And also you just added to the very long list of people that I don't know personally, but like I've heard stories of people that have gone on this ship not expecting any paranormal activity at all, just minding their own business and then kind of bam, like something paranormal happens to them when they're least expecting it. One other element I ran across in a couple of paranormally type vlogs about the ship is a lot of paranormal investigators feel like water is a natural conduit. Um, it provides an energy source of sorts that some ghosts feed off of. Now, this is just a theory. I don't know anything about this, but I've heard it on a lot of ghost shows and also a lot of paranormal researchers, too. So the, the idea is that moving water is a natural, like, pretty much energy field and ghosts can just use it to manifest. So I can't think of a more perfect place that if the ship was already kind of haunted, it got left in a harbor that is constantly moving with water going past it. And then it's like a perfect place for ghosts to manifest. So I do see that this ship could be very haunted. Even if some of the stories are fake, I could still see the majority of the ship actually having some paranormal activity even if maybe the stories that manifested around the ghost aren't necessarily true. I bring that up because the next few stories I have to tell are definitely urban legends. There's no documented proof to these at all, but people still claim to see ghosts in these areas of the ship. So first up is room B474. This room is said to be one of the most haunted on the ship. It's not the most haunted apparently, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but the story is split on how this urban legend for this room starts. But to sum it up, this room apparently had a murder-suicide take place. And if suicides upset you, this is a little bit of a trigger warning. It's not a very long story. I will wrap it up very quickly. And also it's not true, so it's, it's completely fake. It's just one of those silly stories meant to just spook people. And in true urban legend, in fashion, the story is split on how it starts. The first version goes like this. A family was traveling to America when the stepfather suddenly snapped. He strangled the mother and young sister of Dana in the main room before breaking into the bathroom where Dana was hiding. He then shot her and then killed himself. Another version of the tale is that it was a stranger who broke into the cabin and it ends with the same result. Only problem is that there is no evidence to back up these claims. Some wonder where the story even got its start. Some think it was left behind by Disney, like another room we will talk about soon, but some think that the legend was much earlier. Regardless, the young girl Dana is said to be seen wandering the halls calling out for her mother and sister. She has also been seen inside the bathroom and in the bathroom mirror, as well as walking through the cabin and she will supposedly walk right through the door into the hallway. Now it's time to discuss the most haunted and controversial room on the ship, the infamous room B340. This is the story of the room. When the ship became a hotel, room B340 was forced to close due to heightened paranormal activity. The guests who stayed in this room were so scared that they would often run out of the room in the middle of the night. Some guests would go to the front desk and demand a new room, and others would flee and tear from the hotel, never to come back. Guests who stayed in the room reported strange sounds, footsteps, sinks turning on and off on their own, hangers in the closet moving, furniture moving on its own, strange voices, guests being touched, and covers being yanked off of people in the middle of the night. There were also reports of full-bodied apparitions. Due to no one being able to last the night in the room, the hotel was forced to close the room and leave it empty. After its closure, the paranormal activity supposedly began to leak over into the other rooms, causing more guests to flee in the middle of the night. Or at least that's the story people want you to believe. It turns out that the room was never used for guests, but it was used for storage. When the Walt Disney Company got the ship and was going to turn it into a haunted attraction for Port Disney, this room was going to be one of the key rooms in the fake haunted tour on the Queen Mary attraction. The rumor for this room started when Disney was waiting for the city of Long Beach to approve the plans. As we all know, they didn't approve them and many people believe that Disney is responsible for spreading these rumors around town to get the legend from the attraction started to make people want to come check it out when the park opened. After Disney left, the rumor of the room stayed and the next owner stuck with the story. Recently, the room was transformed into a real guest room and they advertise it to guests who are brave enough to stay inside. 
you can get a book in the gift shop that goes in depth about each haunted location of the ship in this book. You can also find the real history of the room and they admit that the Disney employees were the ones responsible for the haunted rumors of that room. Regardless of the urban legend attached to it, ever since its opening, people have had scary paranormal activity. And I for one am shocked at some of the questionable things they have done to this room since they opened it to the public. So I watched a YouTuber who was staying in this room. Her name is Haley Reese. I don't know much about her until I found her when I was looking up information about the Queen Mary. She makes paranormal videos and I really enjoyed her videos that she made from the ship. I will have a link to her channel in the description box down below because everything I found out this part was from her video. So thank you very much for making this video, Haley, and I really liked it. She stayed in the infamous room B340 and she gave a room tour as soon as she got there as well as giving a historical background about the room from the book that she got down in the gift shop titled Ghosts of the Queen Mary. When she entered the room, I could not believe what the owners were allowing in this room. It's not very big, first of all, and there's only one bed, but when you first enter the room, there's this pillar, and on the pillar, there are quotes from guests who have had paranormal experiences in that room. They have also decorated the space with some interesting items. The walls are decorated with black and white photos of rooms that are now the most haunted areas of the ship, like the first class pool area. Then we have the bathroom. In the bathroom, they have a wall decal that explains how to play Bloody Mary in the bathroom mirror. Yes, you heard that right. How to play the dreaded sleepover game Bloody Mary. If you don't know the history behind it, I talk about the history behind it on my ninth episode back when I was just starting out my podcast. The history is really creepy and it's more of a ritual than just a game and it is said that it opens a portal. So basically it's this, you enter a bathroom with nothing but a candle and then you say Bloody Mary's name three times in the bathroom mirror. After the third time, it is said that she will come show herself to you and then claw your eyes out. There are different variations on how to play the Bloody Mary ritual, but they all kind of have the same ending. Now, I have no idea why they would put that inside the bathroom on a ship that is already supposedly super haunted, but oh, it gets worse. Inside the main room, they have a couch with a coffee table in front of it. On this table, they have a medium-sized antique-looking chest with a crystal ball on one side and a large, some kind of like a pillar crystal on the other side. Inside the old metal chest is a pack of tarot cards and a Ouija board. I kid you not, this hotel room has all of these things in one room supposedly the most haunted room in the most haunted ship in the world. Now, I myself read tarot cards occasionally, and I don't think they have much to do in the way of communicating with spirits as much as the cards just connect with you and give you your internal thoughts. I don't even believe that they read the future like some people do, but there are so many beliefs about them mixed in with fake information from movies and lore that I don't know if anyone truly has any idea what they do anymore. I have asked so many different people about them and they have all given me a completely different answer. And that kind of thing kind of creeps me out a little bit because it's like intent. It's like, what am I really asking? So that's why whenever I use my tarot cards, I make sure I'm asking myself what I want, not something in the room what I want. A Ouija board, on the other hand, scares me because anyone can stay in this room. Someone who may have never used one in their lives could be trying to use that thing to communicate with who knows what is on the other side. And I doubt they know how to end the communication properly if they've never used it before. Most people think it's a big joke and they could let something in the room and then they could leave the next day and whatever they let in will just stick around because, hey, it's already there. Why not? Granted, I'm not sure how long the Ouija board has even been inside the room, but many people who have tried to stay the night in the room now can't make it through the night without something weird happening. And just like the old legend used to claim of people would go running away from the room in the middle of the night, well, that happens for real now. Only things have gotten worse. Now people who have stayed inside the room have reported feeling a dark energy. Some people have been pushed, 
pulled, scratched, yelled at by a disembodied voice, even growls. Some have woken up to a shadow figure standing over their bed. And all the old things from the original rumor, like lights, uh, water, shadow figures, all that, footsteps, that actually apparently happens now inside the room. Now remember, I was talking about the YouTuber I was watching named Haley, and well, she was in the room with a friend and her mom, and her friend started to get goosebumps while she was filming the room tour. After Haley was done filming, her friend came into the room and went to get under the covers to warm up a bit when she realized that she was bleeding a lot. She looked down at her leg and she had a fresh, deep cut that was not there a moment ago. Haley turned on the camera to talk about how what had just happened and they went down to the desk to tell the hotel all about it and her friend went to the first aid station to get a band-aid and afterwards they told the woman at the front desk what had happened and she said, oh really? Like she wasn't shocked at all. Then the woman explained to them, on camera that scratches and cuts happen to women who stay in that room all the time and people go running from the room in the middle of the night. While they were talking to the woman at the desk, a security guard came over to check on them to see what was going on and after they told him what had happened, he wanted to see the scratch. After seeing it, he said that it's normally three scratches that people get when they stay in that room. Three scratches is never a good sign in the paranormal field because some believe it's a sign of the Holy Trinity. And most religious people think that a three scratch is a sign from a demon mocking God. And when you think about the fact that they have a Ouija board with amateurs inside that room, plus a how to play Bloody Mary on the wall, this might explain why things are now so bad inside that room and why the ship had an uptick in paranormal activity ever since this room has opened to guests. Another strange thing I found out is around the same time that the ship opened that room to the public, things got really weird on the dock around the ship and the whole area is now kind of a heightened area of strangeness. Oh, and I'm not quite done yet because the ship also has a weird haunted objects room. I could not find out any information online about this. I only found it through one of Haley's videos. But from what I could make out from the tour guide that let them inside the room, it sounded like someone who owned the ship went around the world collecting haunted objects. One of these objects is an early 1900s doll inside a wooden box. The box has a circle cut out of it for the doll to look out of, but the circle has iron bars across it. This doll has a creepy story attached to it. Supposedly, this turn of the century doll belonged to a little girl in Cheyenne, Wyoming. She lived with her mother in an apartment above the Atlas Theater. Sadly, the girl's mother was abusive. She got jealous of the little girl liking the doll more than her, and one day she took the doll and locked it inside the box so her daughter could only look at the doll but no longer be able to play with it. One day the girl died of an accident, but the mother actually killed her. One week later, the girl's mother fell down the stairs and was killed. By the time her body was found, they found a doll's arm at the top of the stairs but the doll was locked inside the box when people went to check on it. Many think that the doll pushed the woman down the stairs in revenge for what she had done to her daughter. This doll had remained inside the box in the attic of the theater until it was found and brought to the ship. And it should come to no surprise to anyone that it's haunted. This doll is famous for moving on its own. Keep in mind, she is still locked away inside the box, but because of the hole, you can see when she moves. For instance, she will be standing when a tour group comes inside the room, and when they go out the door to leave, she will be sitting down. Some people have claimed to have seen her move from a sitting position to a standing position, or vice versa. Sometimes her head will move as if she is watching you and listening to your conversation. I'm not sure why I couldn't find any information about this room online, so if anyone has any information, I would love to know more. After doing all this research on the Queen Mary, I don't even have to go there to think that, yep, this place is haunted. While some of the ghost stories of the ship are scary and dark, let's not forget that the Queen Mary is a floating museum. I think it is important to see how many layers of hauntings are actually on board. While it looks like some of the ghosts on board today might have come to the ship from artifacts or portals, some of the ghosts here are due to tragic deaths, while others might have chosen to come back because they loved it so much. This ship played an important part in history, and I hope that she will be around for generations to come. If you ever get a chance to go on the Queen Mary, please treat the ship with the respect she deserves. She is named for a queen, after all.
enjoyed this episode of the Queen Mary. Boy, this was a really fun episode to cover and it also took me forever to finish. Thank you guys so much for your patience. This was supposed to be done a while ago, but I just couldn't get it done. This episode was made over the course of like 10 or 12 days. Anytime I could, I would jump on here and record just small sections just to get it done. Um, I... I'm going through stuff with my family, which you guys already know, but on top of that, I decided like I'm going to be healthy and I'm going to try to work out every day and I'm going to go for a walk every day to start getting in shape for when I'm out of quarantine, you know, during all this pandemic lockdown craziness. So I decided to go on this big walk. Well, I had the worst fibromyalgia flare up I've had in a long time. So it kicked my butt and I was sitting with ice on my knee. I couldn't move my leg for like two full days. It was awful. And then my computer got a virus out of nowhere, which it might've been my fault. I might've accidentally been on a different page that I thought I was on to download something. But long story short, my computer got a virus and it was horrible and it deleted a lot of what I had already recorded on the Queen Mary episode. So I had to go back and figure all that out. Thank goodness I was able to recover what I had lost, but it took me another like 30 minutes to an hour. First, it took me an hour to figure that out. Then it took me 30 minutes to actually do the process to get everything back. And then the next couple of days, I only had a couple of minutes to squeeze in a couple of recordings. And then I went to get my second Moderna shot. And this is not me trying to tell you to get the vaccine. I'm just going to say what happened to me. I don't know if anyone else has had these weird symptoms, but I got the shot on Wednesday. I came home, felt okay, had some arm pain, and then it just hit me. And like two hours after I got home, I was just not feeling good. So then I went to bed early and the next day I had full flu-like symptoms. I was very ill. I had a low-grade fever. I had body aches, chills, the whole nine yards, except for real symptoms. Like I didn't have a sore throat. I didn't have a runny nose. My stomach felt off, but I was still holding down food just fine. Then I got a migraine so bad that I had to put on sunglasses in my room. And I even had to find some kind of a, like a heavier curtain to hang over my normal curtains to let in less light because I had that bad of a headache. And then I woke up the next day and it was like it didn't even happen. Weirdest thing of my life. The next day I was totally fine. I got up early like I usually do. I went and got breakfast, went for a walk, came home, worked on my podcast all day, and I had a great day. From someone like me who is sick all the time, that was a cakewalk. I am so happy to be vaccinated and I am so glad that in two weeks I will be 100% vaccinated, which means I can go see my best friend and give her a hug. <laughs> And I was finally able to finish this episode of the Queen Mary. Really, I hope you guys liked it. I love the history. It was so fun finding out all those neat information about all the hauntings there. And I hope that you guys enjoyed the extra music and sound effects I added to this episode. I've been wanting to do that a lot more often because to me, it makes me think of those old-timey radio shows that were on in the 1950s. They used to add sound effects and music to make it feel more interesting. And I always try to do that to spruce things up, to make the history part more fun fun because I think history is really cool and that's kind of the point of this podcast to let people have fun with history and add a paranormal twist at the end so that way you learn something new and hopefully get a little spooked. All right, my friends, that's all I have time for tonight. Thank you all again so much for listening. If you want to follow me on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter, all the links to that is down below. Also a link to my Patreon page. If you have a true paranormal story that you'd like to hear on the show, please email that to me at historicallyhaunted.313 at gmail.com. Or you can just say hi. Another great way to get in touch with me or other listeners is to join our group page. And that is Historically Haunted group page. I will also add a link to that down below. If you are listening to my show with Apple Podcasts, please make sure to rate and review my podcast. It really helps support the show and it'll help others find it. Okay, everyone. Thanks again. I will see you guys next time and stay healthy and safe. Bye, everybody.